Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we'll talk about the U.S. Bishop's new resolutions on sexual abuse. Then, we'll take a look at a new document prepared for the Synod on the Amazon region that officially introduces the possibility of ordaining married men. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New York, Jerry. Good afternoon from Rome, Colleen. Jerry, the first story that I wanted to talk to you about today was that the U.S. bishops met last week in Baltimore for a long-awaited vote on sexual abuse resolutions. And this came after they were told not to vote on the resolutions at last year's November meeting. So at this meeting, they voted pretty quickly since everybody kind of already knew what was coming. And some of the things they agreed on were establishing a third-party hotline for reporting abuse and a system for investigating those reports that allows for lay involvement but doesn't require it. And, you know, a lot of people have praised these new protocols, but others have said that this lay involvement should be required. So, Jerry, last week you and I spoke about how Rome was paying attention to the USCCB spring meeting. But how were these resolutions received in Rome? The results of the American bishops meeting uh, were received positively here in Rome. I think the people were very encouraged by the almost unanimous votes in favor of the various proposals. So it showed, at least it gave the impression here, that uh, the bishops were coming together around a very important issue. And that uh, was looked upon very favorably. And it was seen also to have happened after they had the meeting in Mondelein in Chicago, That was the retreat that the Pope asked the bishops to go on to pray about what to do next on sexual abuse. Exactly. And maybe we're seeing the first positive fruit of that encounter, although not not every bishop attended, but the majority and the Pope would have been there had it been possible. So the results of this meeting last week were welcomed here in Rome, and it went down very well. I haven't seen any real criticism of it. I've I've read in the Mary some of the American media about some of the groups wishing to have the lay people, as it were, mandated formally. Yeah, one of those groups was the Survivors Network of those abused by priests. Yes, well, I I think it did not come as a surprise that some people felt it did not go far enough and it should have made this mandatory. But I think uh, you have to see that the church has come a long way. If you think in one year. And we're now at a new stage, and the the cohesion within the bishops' conference is, is a very positive sign, because the bishops have been under, uh, you know, heavy fire from the media, from groups, from various people. And here they are kind of coming together and saying, we're going down this road, and we're definitely going down, and there's going to be a space for lay people. I, I think this has been looked upon very positively. You mentioned that you know there has been a lot of progress in the last year on this. I'm wondering, how does what the U.S. bishops are doing compare to what other bishops' conferences around the world are doing? Well, the conferences are moving in different directions. I mean, last week, for example, uh, uh, Archbishop Shikluna, the Vatican's chief, uh, I would say he's the point man really on on the abuse question, went and spoke with the Polish bishops. 
And in Poland, as you know, uh, people speak that maybe we have a chilly, chilly too kind of a meltdown. Can you explain what that means for our listeners? Well, we've seen the meltdown of the church in Chile over the last year in terms of the abuse question, the revelations that have come out, the denunciations, the direct intervention of the Pope. And what seems to be happening now in Poland is that many denunciations are coming forward. There was a video on YouTube which... uh, I think five or six survivors were giving their testimony, one of them confronting directly one of the person who abused her. And uh, it's had a big impact in Poland. And the church is uh, being rocked in a way that wouldn't have been imagined five years ago. And do you think that the bishops' conference there, for example, is moving maybe more slowly on abuse than the U.S. bishops? I think they are, they're coming, you know, they're on a learning curve. They have taken some decisions now. They have taken, they've put out uh, some data, etc. But I think they're still on a learning curve in comparison with the United States bishops. Our second story this week is that the Vatican published its working document for the upcoming Synod on Amazonia. And this document covered everything from dealing with deforestation and urbanization to the prophetic role of the church. But the big thing that the media has been focused on is that the document officially introduced the possibility of ordaining older indigenous married men to the priesthood. Jerry, I want us to talk about the full range of topics that are covered in this document, but let's start with this part about possibly ordaining married men. Did the inclusion of this come as a surprise? Not really. Uh, it had been in the air for some time. And if, if you remember when uh, the Pope, on the flight back from the World Youth Day in Panama in January of this year, he was asked a question about the ordination of married men. And he made very clear that uh, he said, I defend celibacy. I am, do not agree with optional celibacy for priests in the West, in the Latin Rite. But he said, there are situations where There are no priests. Uh, The community, the local communities are without the Eucharist for a year or even longer. They they lack the sacraments, etc. And he he mentioned uh, the Pacific Islands and he mentioned the Amazon region. So everybody kind of expected this, but to see it in a document is another thing. Because if you think back historically... Under the pontificate of John Paul II, at least three bishops' conferences separately asked for the possibility to ordain married married men who are living a good Christian life as priests because of the lack of uh, priests in the region and the need to make the Eucharist available. He knows the situation in Latin America, even in Argentina. There are communities who who do not have the Eucharist every week, right? Even every, even every month. It, yeah, it's more like once a year some places. Yes. So he's well aware of the reality. Jerry, you said something interesting that I kind of want to draw out, which is, um, you know, to see this mentioned in an official document after all this talk about it is is kind of a, a big thing. Um, what have some of the reactions been in Rome to this document? 
Well, it's a big thing uh, because I remember in past synods, those drafting the documents were told to exclude certain questions. And this was one of them. So to see it now in a, in a document coming out from the synod uh, of bishops, official document coming out, it's very important. And it's been, I think, very well received in Rome. It's got enormous publicity around the world. Yeah. Do you think that people are in favor of this um, idea of possibly ordaining married men? I would say the great majority. Got it. There are some who are definitely against it and see this as Francis uh, taking the church on the slippery slope and towards the uh, changing of celibacy. But he's made very clear, that's not what I'm doing. Yeah, I think that is a good question to ask, though. You know, like in your view, what would ordaining these married men mean for the rest of the church? Look, the reality is that today, 2019, in the Catholic Church, you have the Eastern Rite Catholics who, who have churches which have married men. You have the Greek Catholic Church, which we saw in Romania last week when the Pope visited there. They have married men. I, I saw the priests with their wives and their kids. And we have, in, especially in England, but also to some extent in the United States, we have married clergy in the Latin Rite Church because they were they've come over from the Anglican Church. They were married priests in the Anglican Church, but they moved over and they joined the Catholic Church. And they, they were accepted as married priests in the Catholic Church. I know in London, for example, there are parishes which are run by uh, married priests. I think the number, I've tried many times to find the exact number, but I think we're talking maybe two, three hundred married priests in the Catholic Church in England and Wales, if not more. So you would say that this this wouldn't change a great deal in the church except for the specific community in, in Latin America? Yes, I, I, th- this will be... Uh, let's say, another element of diversity in the church, presuming that the synod votes in favor and says to the Pope, we want it, and presuming that Francis uh, gives the green light. So let's talk about some of the other points that were raised in the document. Um, One part that I found interesting was that there was a call for the synod to identify the kind of official ministry that can be conferred on women. And it says, taking into account the central role they play in the church in Amazonia. And uh, Cardinal Baldessari, who is the cardinal who is presenting this document to the press, said that this doesn't mean the diaconate. Uh, that's the Pope has asked for more study on the possibility of women deacons. So it's not that. But what kind of roles would, could this look like? Have you heard anything about what people are thinking about? Well, the reality is today that in many parts, and also in some parts of Africa, uh, w- women really are effectively running the parishes. They don't preach, uh, but they they organize, they bring the people together, they give catechetical instruction, uh, sometimes organize the prayer services, maybe they baptize children. Uh, there are lots of things. That m- maybe they care for the sick. Uh, maybe they bring the Eucharist to people. There are lots of roles that women are playing. I I don't think anybody has really done a comprehensive survey of all the different roles that women are playing in the church today. Yeah, so what would like an official role then look like? 
it's not quite clear what what they would suggest but it what the document says is that we've got to get beyond the 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 mentality of the past and see what what is new what can be done so it, it couldn't open up other avenues maybe they could be allowed to preach we don't know i i i i wouldn't like to hazard a guess but let, let me say the question about women giving new roles to women and it also speaks about giving women roles in decision making this document is very strong about this and said we, we have to look what is in the cultures of the peoples of, of the amazon because there are different many different groups and uh, ethnic groups and peoples what is in their cultures that can give something new to the church that we don't have because the tendency in the past has been for the missionaries to come in they come in with their roman theology or their western theology and they uh, kind of make this the the, the way of the, the church this document is really going much further the other way and says let's let's just put a little break on this and let's see what these people have that the spirit of god has given them in their cultures in their spirituality, in their way of life, in their understanding of family, in their understanding of relation to nature, relation to people, that can be really integrated into the church. Right. It seems clear from this document that this idea of enculturation is going to be one of the really driving driving forces and driving ideas for the synod. Um, Jerry, obviously this document deals with a lot of issues other than, you know, who will minister in what roles in the Amazon region. Um, so let's talk about what are some of the other challenges that this, this document looks at? Well, I was very struck by what the document says at one point. It, it speaks about the church as a community of worldwide solidarity. And what does that mean? It means, it says... And so it reacts responsibly to the global situation of injustice, poverty, inequality, violence, and exclusion in the Amazon. So the church acts in solidarity with the struggling peoples, the peoples that are under threat, the nature that is under threat. It's a very radical document. And I understand that perhaps the original text was even more radical and they softened it a little. That's interesting. They're speaking about the Amazon, the people, and the environment. And they said there has been throughout centuries this great harmony between the peoples who were living there and the environment. They protected the water. They treated the earth well. And now you suddenly have crashing in on them the whole economic interests, political interests, which is wreaking havoc and which risks destroying that balance that was there in what Francis has, has reminded us is one of the lungs of the earth. So the damage that is being done to the Amazon is going to be damaged to the not just the peoples there, but also to the wider world. And so I think this synod is going to take a very big, uh, again, great visibility when these issues are brought more to the fore. I mean, on the question of abuse, everybody, all you see all the media, they're naming and shaming, as it were. But if you go into the Amazon, we're not yet naming and shaming who are destroying all the, the, the species, who are destroying, polluting the water, who are introducing with mercury and such like new diseases that, they, that people's never had, who are forcing people to leave and attracting people to come in 
and work in the Amazon so that uh, uh, they can extract gold, uh, oil, you, you name it, and especially wood, logging, deforestation. And who is creating the, who are starting all these fires and who are killing the uh, leaders of the indigenous peoples who try to protect their native lands and protect the environment. I, 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 the document gives a very striking figure. It says, the number of martyrs in the Amazon is alarming. It says, in Brazil alone, between 2003 and 2017, that's uh, 14 years, 1,119 indigenous people were murdered. And it's identifying them as martyrs? It calls them martyrs. Yes. Wow. Because they're working to protect the people, to work protect human rights, to protect nature. And the document underlines that the defense of life, which is so often in the States linked, and in other parts of the world too, linked to the question of abortion. It says the defense of life involves the defense of the territory, the environment. It's very, this document, when you study it, it's very strong. I expect this to be a very powerful synod. And it. I remember when Cardinal Baldessari presented the, the guidelines for the discussion. Mm-hmm. He said this synod will have relevance for the people of, Amazon, of the Amazon and for the people of Latin America, but also for the worldwide church. And I think this, we're seeing the beginning of it. And I, I think the, the document is refreshing. It's easy to read. Uh, and we'll have to get it online soon in English as soon as we can. Yeah, Jerry, I think this is, it's a really powerful thing to see in this document, how these concerns about the environment, about urbanization, about exploitation, are all coming together under this kind of call for a, a more prophetic church. I think that's a very exciting direction to see the church going in. Um, and I look forward to covering this synod with you a little bit more as it draws closer in the fall. Thank you, Colleen. I, I think we, we're going to have an exciting synod. And I, I wish you could come here. <laughs> <laughs> me too, me too. Inside the Vatican is produced by America Media at the William J. Loeshirt Studio in New York City. Our executive producer is Eloise Blondio. Our news producer is Kevin Clark. Our audio engineer is Karen Freeman. Production assistance this week from Kevin Christopher Robles. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Oliver Lazarus. Our studio manager is Leopold Stubner. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at americamag. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next week.